All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about football. We're going to talk a little bit about college football and then go through some picks for a new segment on the podcast. And I'm joined in this task by Pete Licklead. So Pete is now calling in from Las Vegas, Nevada, where I'm guessing the weather's a little bit more dry than it's been in Austin. Pete, am I right? Yeah, we, we probably haven't seen rain in about a month, but how, how are things in Austin? I know your weather is changing kind of kind of rapidly down there. You're not in the hurricane, but no, what's, fortunately what's going not. on down there these days? Yeah, we are definitely avoiding Florence, but we've had a ton of rain over the past 10 days or so. It seems like every day we're getting a torrential downpour. So my grass went from like completely brown in the front yard and me not having to mow it in the last two months to now it's like luscious and green and like six inches long. And I haven't been able to mow it just because it's been raining every day. So you can't mow a wet lawn. So I'm really just waiting for like 24 hours of dry weather so I can get out there and finally mow it. But So it's- are, are you one of those guys? Because I, I have a theory that every outdoor sports fan is obsessed with not only their lawn, but the overall appearance of their, their backyard. Are you one of those guys as well? Uh, I have to say no. I'm really not. No? I, I've So in, in our previous house, we had a very small backyard and it was fenced in. And, uh, I let that, I let that get like criminally out of control <laughs> at, at points. I was, I was known for that. And then it would just reach a point where it was like, oh, that's, it's that time of summer again, where I mow the lawn. <laughs> it's that time of month. But yeah, so I, I, I'm not saying your theory is wrong, but it, I, I don't think it applies to me. I'm sorry. I don't think I can help you out there. Ah, you're the curve breaker. Standard, yeah. standard. So are you, are you <laughs> meticulous about your lawn? I didn't know this about you. Uh, I am. I don't, I don't have a real lawn now that I'm out here in Vegas. Course, I definitely yeah. was when I lived in North Dakota. Obviously, I only had like three months to mess with it. But out here, I actually have turf in the backyard because the city of Las serious? Vegas pays you. Yeah, they pay you to take out your grass to try to save, save water. water. So yeah. I, have, I have a lot of turf and I have a lot of rocks. So I'm trying to get creative with that and it's driving me crazy. Wow. What color is this turf? Is it like, uh, like you know, indoor football stadium turf? Oh yeah, it's it's like the uh, the Astrodome in the Perfect. late '80s green. That's it's, what I was hoping for. Yeah, late it's, '80s, it's early solid. '90s indoor but football a, stadium. But of course, the the people who lived here before we bought the house installed the turf at two different times, so there is a distinct tint between the two sides of my turf, <laughs> and the grass kind of leans the other way, so it, it drives me crazy. Is your you front know? yard also turf, or do you have some grass there? No, it's it's all rock up front. Oh, okay, all rocks. What do you, what do they all call rocks. that? Zeroscape or something? Yeah, okay. yeah. So. All rocks, and then I have about 30 different bubblers around the house trying to keep uh, what few trees and shrubbery we have alive. It, it's it been a little more work than I expected. You think you just kind of install an irrigation system and walk away, and not so much. What is a bubbler? I don't even know. So it's it's like a little sprinkler, but it, it doesn't have the, the power and the amount of water coming out of it that a regular sprinkler does, where the, gotcha. the water literally just kind of drips out or bubbles out. Okay, got it. Huh. Well, uh, it sounds like I need to move to Vegas because that's that's my level of lawn maintenance that I want. Just uh, uh, turf yeah. in the back and zero scape in the front. <clears throat> that sounds like the way to go. You should. And you too can look like an idiot as you try to figure out <laughs> bubblers like I do on those Saturday mornings. And then it, it gets to be about 10 a.m. on Saturday morning and I'm done working outside. <laughs> Did you know what a bubbler was before you moved to Vegas? No, no, yeah. that was. Yeah. Had to learn that one the hard way. Yeah. Well, thanks for educating me so that if I ever move to Vegas, I'll know ahead of time. Know, Absolutely. Know how to deal with a bubbler. I, I will tell you, for a place where man was not meant to live once upon a time, we have a surprising amount of natural grass fields. We were at really? uh, kids' soccer games this morning, and there are just acres and acres of natural grass fields that who knows how much the city of Las Vegas is pumping into those fields to keep them them working. But there's, there's actually a r- lot of really, really nice 
outdoor places here with with real stuff that of course are propped up by bubblers and sprinklers but pretty good now are you a are you a coach for your kids soccer teams is it is it both kids who do it or just uh just the older uh both kids want to but but just but just my older daughter right now actually does it my my son wants to get in on it but he's he's still a little too little but are are you a coach uh, I, I am not. I, I try to provide some color commentary on the sidelines, but for some reason, the other parents just don't seem to appreciate it. So you do need to move out to Vegas. I like to comment on our defensive matchups, and I got a lot of weird looks when I did that at the, the most recent game. <laughs> so my, my daughter also, for anyone who knows her, she's a little shy, and uh, she really enjoys kind of standing there and watching the other seven kids because they play four on four. And so, so we yell at her to run and she looks at us and smiles and waves as the ball goes right past her feet. That sounds so like my daughter. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's cluster ball. That is for sure. It's cluster ball. So this fall is going to be the first season that my daughter has ever played organized organized sports. She's very excited about it. We signed her up for soccer through the uh, through a local league here. Yeah. And uh, as part of the sign up process, they were asking parents, are you interested in coaching? And like, yeah, I, I've always thought, you know, as, as long as I've been interested in sports and as long as I've had kids, I thought, how cool would it be to coach your kid's team? Right. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'm definitely interested. Um, thinking in my head that I would be in a like volunteer capacity role, uh, just helping out, you know, show up with my daughter, help out with the soccer team, uh, all that stuff. And uh, then the schedule comes out and it turns out that like I'm on the list as like the coach for this team. <laughs> and oh, no. I, I, do, I don't know the first thing about soccer. Like to our listeners, there's a reason that our, our soccer discussion on third string has been limited to one uh, ridiculous World Cup segment where we just pick teams based on like, you know, geopolitical affinities. Like, I don't know. I don't know soccer. Like I know, you know, I know what a midfielder is. I know what a defender, obviously a goalie and striker slash forward and that stuff. But like, that's the limit of my knowledge on this. And so, uh, these, these, these people are trusting me to teach their kids the, the finer points of the game. And I have not, not a clue what I'm doing. So this, uh, I'll, I'll update you. This starts in a couple weeks. I'll, I'll update you Pete on how this is going, but, uh, it's going to be a wild ride. I think. Well, I was going to say after our, uh, insightful, world cup discussions i don't exactly. think you and i are too familiar with soccer other than no. you you try to kick the ball into the goal yeah. and that's about all i know yeah exactly exactly i mean hopefully these kids are going to be young enough where it, that'll be sufficient you know what i mean like four and five year olds i can teach them the basic rules of soccer i can teach them how to not commit penalties i can teach them how to be good good sports and practice good sportsmanship like hopefully that'll be sufficient but at the same time like I, you know, from what I know, and maybe you can you can tell me more since you have a daughter who's playing right now. Parents get really serious really early on, and I just am afraid I'm going to have some parents who are just like, "Coach, what are you doing out there? That's not, you know." <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Could be interesting. Just when you don't know what to do with these kids, tell them to run a lap. I feel like that's all I learned growing up in sports. Is Peter just go run a lap? I heard that a lot. So and that's the uh, that's the Matt Patricia method of running a team, right? Yeah, and uh, boy, that Lions team looked really bad on Monday night. So maybe don't go with that that plan. <laughs> oh, really, really bad. We'll, we'll get to NFL first. Let's let's move into our off the bench segment here, and let's talk about college football. Anything anything striking you from the college game that we need to be watching right now? This is obviously college football weekend. We are recording this podcast as we uh, as Oklahoma plays Iowa State on the road. Uh, they are up thirty seven twenty seven, but they were. That that game's been close pretty much all game. I think that's been the yeah. one the one nail biter I've been watching today. How about you? Any other any other things you're seeing? Any big picture topics? 
Boy, I I have been really surprised, and and you called this a little during our college football preview, but I'm looking at the the Florida State Syracuse score right now. I don't have that one on TV. Going up to play in the Carrier Dome is tough to go up to Syracuse and play. Every team struggles up there, but this this team is not responding to Willie Taggart. They are losing. Uh, last I checked, by 24 points to Syracuse. They barely skirted by Samford. Not they, they just Stanford, scored a touchdown, but so Samford. it's 23-7 now. They just scored a touchdown okay. at the very end of the game. So, uh, what what I was seeing in that game earlier is this this team doesn't appear to have. Honestly, much hustle. Uh, the O-line is going to get DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Francois killed again. Um, this this team is is in a lot of trouble. I was I was feeling pretty high on my Hokies after that win on Labor Day, and I'm looking at this team, and I still think it was a good win, but I, I think Willie Taggart has a little more rebuilding than uh, than we were giving him credit for, that maybe Jimbo Fisher knew something that none of us, none of us did when he ran away in the middle of the night to Texas A&M. So that's been a bit of a surprise. I don't really think any... New coach on the scene right now is having a great time in any of their new programs. We we were so excited about this coaching carousel in college football. And right now, no one is really settling in. You look at the Chip Kelly era started pretty rough at UCLA. Yep. Obviously, Will, Willie Taggart's having issues. Scott Frost, I think, was the best honest broker with his fan base that this is going to be a couple-year process. And we're going to get it where we want it. But we're going to have some some speed bumps along the way. And Nebraska certainly has already as well. So it's... It's been very interesting that all these highly touted coaches with all this success on their resumes haven't been able to really transfer early on. So it's yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of our, our old our old teams who always seem to dominate no matter who's in charge are dominating. Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Ohio State, Urban Meyer coming back next week. They have a big game against TCU I'm excited to watch this evening. But it seems that our traditional powerhouses – regardless of who the coaches are the traditional powerhouses yeah i think you're right and uh on the scott frost point they just lost to troy 24 19 today so now nebraska's 0 and 2 but losing to troy is uh, the fact that a nebraska football team loses to troy is such a far cry from the nebraska that people knew from the 1980s and 90s so i think it will be a time before nebraska is back and honestly i'm not even sure if they ever will be back i think the center of gravity for recruiting is so far away geographically from where nebraska is and even those west coast recruits that you know your uclas and your washingtons and stanford's can go get a lot harder for nebraska to get too so i think there are some like really like geographical realities that are preventing nebraska from having the true comeback well and and i think if you're in the the big 10 right now if you're a young recruit unless you grew up loving nebraska football I mean, I, I don't want to seem crass to any of our Nebraska fans out there, but if you do not have some kind of affinity for this school overall, you want to go to a program who's on the national stage. And right now, there are so many good programs in the Big Ten that Nebraska, I mean, it's it's like trying to be Mizzou in the SEC West, totally, right? Yeah. Or the SEC East, excuse me, where they had that one good year, but there are just so many good teams around them. It's very hard to kind of get back up there. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, going back to the geographic point, I've been in Nebraska. I like Nebraska, but... If you are choosing between Columbus or Ann Arbor or State College, and then you have options like uh, Urbana-Champaign to go to U of I or Lincoln, Nebraska, it's to me a no-brainer. I mean, why would you ever choose to go to Lincoln over Ann Arbor unless you were from Nebraska or grew up loving the Huskers, et cetera? So, yeah, I think you're right. I think Nebraska has tough sledding up ahead. Yeah, I mean, we we've done so much to expose these kids to more natural 
to more national coverage, whether it's the Big Ten Network, the SEC Network, Longhorn Network. But at the end of the day, Big Ten Network is not focusing on Nebraska, and that is their own network where I I still think the, the Big Ten, there's such a discrepancy like the SEC from top to bottom that some of these bottom teams are going to start looking for other avenues here soon. I don't think Nebraska is ready to leave yet, but they I think they have a serious issue in pushing their brand right now. I like that Scott Frost, though, was pretty honest with his fan base that this Definitely. was going to be a couple-year rebuild. But like you said, it's it's going to be, I think, a longer road than we expected. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, are there any games that you're you're monitoring today and looking at potential upsets on? I'm I'm surprised that Iowa State held it as close as they did to Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma just closed it out, though, 37-27. So there's some other games coming up. Michigan is going to SMU, but SMU is no longer the team they were under Chad Morris, so I don't think Michigan will have any problems dispatching them. The LSU-Auburn game, I think, could be really exciting. That's about yep. to kick off here in just a few minutes. Uh, I think Wisconsin will dispatch BYU without a problem. Oklahoma State, Boise State also could get pretty exciting. But ultimately, I think the the games this weekend are not as good as the games we've we've had for the past couple weeks. So, I mean, you have Texas A&M going against the powerhouse University of Louisiana, Monroe, for example. And that's pretty representative of the of the other games. You already mentioned Ohio State TCU. I think that's the best chance for an upset that we have. We have the Urban Meyer yep. less Ohio State going up against a Gary Patterson squad that is once again finding its way to stay in the rankings and is undefeated so far in the season. And they're playing at AT and T Stadium, so it's not quite home turf for the Horn Frogs because it's not their stadium, but it is. You know, they, they can sleep in their own beds that night and drive to the stadium, whereas Ohio State's traveling in. So. Now, did you see as we're looking at games today, I actually thought the Vanderbilt-Notre Dame game would be a little closer than what I'm seeing on TV as it's literally going on right now with Notre Dame up 10-0 in the second. I thought that game would be a little closer than what the eye test is telling me right now. Did you see the quote as we're talking about national brands uh, from the Vanderbilt head coach uh, preseason where they asked him how he felt about taking his Vanderbilt team to South Bend, Indiana to play Notre Dame, and he responded with, we play in the SEC. We're not afraid of South Bend, <laughs> which was taken a little out of context because right afterwards he goes on to say, we're, we're getting ready for our first game of the season. And I, I think it was a valid quote when you take it in context. But as we talk about these national brands and the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s teams, I mean, Newt Rockney, Notre Dame. I mean, how do you ever question that environment? But we do in 2018. It's just it's so interesting how much the college landscape has changed here. Uh, over the last decade and a half and and how I, I don't think Notre Dame has the recruiting brand that they used to. And it's it's just all of these big historic programs. Uh, some of the heavyweights have survived and some of the kind of less traditional heavyweights uh, are I think are, are really struggling to find their existence right now and struggling to figure out where they fit in. I think Notre Dame, once this NBC contract is up, uh, could be looking for a, a Power 5 conference to actually go to finally and get out of this independent status that they milk so much. Yeah, I think that's very true. What's interesting, and, and I have to read more about this, and I would like to see some of the data about where rosters are coming from geographically, but I wonder if part of it just has to do with the fact that, you know, if you're a if you're a recruit who's growing up in Pennsylvania, you're a you know four or five-star recruit at your high school, you're going to be looking at colleges all over the country. But 30 years ago, I don't think that would be the case. I think you'd be thinking, I'm in Pennsylvania, I'm a Pennsylvania guy, I'm going to go three hours down the road to State College, and I can come home to see my family on weekends and holidays. I'm not going to go to Stanford or UCLA or UW or Tuscaloosa. But now that's not the that's not the case anymore. And coaches 
spend three quarters of their time jetting about the country on charter jets to try to recruit those kids who are coming from locales not even remotely close to where this school is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great point. I think our age of communication now and and social media, people are just exposed to so many more opportunities right. out there. I, I, I think that's a great point that, again, if if I can choose one of these big market schools where you know that they have a big fan following, they get the local TV coverage, they get the national TV coverage, they get game day. I mean, why, why would I choose the smaller school closer to me, maybe where I'm not going to get the national exposure that I would if I go out of state and, and leave? Right. Especially if they're going to offer you a scholarship anyway. I mean, if it's all if it's all the same financially, then why not just go to the best school where you get the most exposure? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's it's interesting times for college football. It, I, I really think that the conference realignment that we looked at about three to four years ago is not over. And I think... I think as these TV contracts start coming up with the ACC network coming online, the Notre Dame NBC contract expiring, it's going to get very interesting very quickly. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, should we move on from college football and talk about NFL a little bit? Yeah, huge uh, week one in the NFL there last weekend, getting ready for week two. What were some some big surprises for you? So I think the biggest surprise was Aaron Rodgers' self-healing powers. He went down in the first quarter with an ACL, well, what was presumed to be an ACL injury. He had to be carted off because he couldn't walk on his own power on his knee, right? Yep. And Deshaun Kaiser comes in, does what Deshaun Kaiser does best, which is throw interceptions. The Chicago Bears are looking like they're absolutely dominating this game. Khalil Mack is looking like he's every bit worth the two first-round draft picks and his $80 million salary. And then Aaron Rodgers comes back and guides the Packers to a one-point victory. I mean... There was, in my mind, no more vintage Aaron Rodgers moment with the possible exception of the game in the playoffs two years ago against the Cowboys where he threw that sideline pass uh, way down the sideline, uh, you know, placed it on a dime. I mean, this is this is Aaron Rodgers. This is what he does. He, and he came back in that game with a sore knee, limping around and just slinging the ball in his signature. Aaron Rodgers, it's like a quick release, almost borderline sidearm the way he pitches that. But to me, that was just vintage Rodgers. I thought it was a really awesome game to see, even though I didn't see the whole thing. I saw the highlights the next morning. Uh, and I thought that was that was pretty exciting. How about you? Uh, boy, that, that Aaron Rodgers game was something. I think the second we saw him wearing his helmet in the second half, every single person in the world knew the Bears were going to lose that game yep. in some way. Um, did you see that post-game interview with Aaron Rodgers, though? I don't know if Aaron Rodgers knew where he was. He was on so many painkillers. He was... He was up in the clouds. It was it was pretty funny to watch. If you yeah. haven't seen that, go check that out. It was pretty funny. Um, for me, as I'm looking around, uh, I not necessarily a surprise, but kind of surprised uh, just in the overall game was the L.A. Rams versus the Oakland Raiders. I thought that was one of the most interesting games of the week. I don't think the outcome was a surprise, but the way we got to that outcome, I thought was a pretty significant surprise. So. Sean McVay, great offensive mind, no surprise here. I was really surprised at how much they relied on Todd Gurley. I thought they were going to back off in, in kind of how they were using him going forward. But just the way that they were able to dismantle that John Gruden defense after Khalil Mack left, um, I think confirmed our fears about Khalil Mack leaving Oakland, but at the same time just showed how much of a force the Rams are going to be and just how good that offense is where it took them, what, a quarter and a half to really start clicking, and after that yep. it was pretty much over. But that was – that was a very interesting game to watch. The The Oakland Raiders actually didn't look as bad as I expected them to look. I thought that they were going to be slow. 
I thought their defense was going to get destroyed, which it ended up getting destroyed later on, but they, they held their own there for a little. But overall, the, the John Gruden era is not off to a good start. And just like in college football, I don't think any new coach in the seat won in week one as I'm looking at it. I think they all looked pretty mediocre at yep. best. Oh, and seven. Coming out. So um, I, I think that was my surprise as well. More than anything else is all these new heralded coaches and they all looked pretty overmatched. None more than Matt Patricia in Detroit. Oh my goodness. That was such an ugly game. And we, we were texting back and forth while that happened. And I could not believe how bad Matt Patricia's debut was going. I didn't think he was going to be good. I don't know why the Lions picked him. I mean, the Patriots had the 31st ranked out of 32 defenses, I think, last year in DVOA. They gave up all those points to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. They They didn't really look good through the playoffs. The only reason they made it to the Super Bowl was because of Tom Brady, and it was not on the strength of their defense. So Matt Patricia has... Has, has, does not have the resume that he really should have for a head coach, I don't think. And he was exposed in such a painful, horrible way when they played the Jets. I mean, the Jets of all of all of all teams. He made the Sam Jets. Sam Darnold like, is being treated as the second coming now because oh he goodness. looks so good in that game. He looks so good because Matt Patricia couldn't do anything, and they kept showing him very close, very close up on the sidelines. He wasn't really responding in any way either. He was sort of rolling his eyes, and it looked like he was talking into his headset here and there. But it didn't look like he was actively trying to avoid the meltdown that his team was very clearly going through. It just, it seems like things are not going well in Detroit. And I saw reports this week that he's already losing the locker room. So it's not looking good for Matt Patricia. No, and and I think it goes back to the discussions with Bill Belichick that I think everyone can agree that regardless of what you think he is as a guy, he is one of the most brilliant coaching minds we've ever seen. He and Nick Saban are really just on a different level but you look at a lot of the guys who've kind of come out of the Patriots and the Nick Sa- or I'm sorry, in the Bill Belichick camp, haven't been incredibly effective coaches. You think of guys like Josh McDaniel, who obviously have a mind for the game, but because Bill Belichick does everything himself and is such a poor communicator, but so cerebral at the same time, that I don't think the people around him have really ever benefited from coaching around him. His players benefit a heck of a lot because he makes such interesting decisions. But you look at his coaching tree. Unlike, say, the Bill Parcells coaching tree or the Andy Reid coaching tree that you brought up last week, guys aren't getting the experience they need by working under Bill Belichick. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know that that Bill Belichick, the defensive mastermind, is the guy who's responsible for any defensive success the Patriots actually have. So why the Lions thought Matt Patricia was the guy, I really, I'll, I'll never understand. Just, just hoping for lightning in a bottle and stealing something from the Patriots, I guess. But yeah. that... Boy, the the Lions have been disappointing for so long. I mean, you look at a guy like Matt Stafford, who, boy, I think he looked as bad as he's looked in probably four or five years uh, in that Monday night game with four picks. Mm -hmm. I I think the Matt Stafford time is probably almost over in Detroit. I I know that's a pretty hot take from from week one, but I think Matt Stafford, unless he actually gets some help up there, I, I think he's probably on the decline as well. Yeah, I think you might be right. Of the new coaches, the new coaches... You already mentioned who went 0-7 in week one. Who do you think has the best chance to get their first win in week two? Oh, man. That's that's a tough question. I'm kind of thinking about everyone who's sitting in the seat. Remind me, uh, I've got four of the new head coaches in my head. Do you, do you have a good list sitting there with you that we can uh, run let's through? See, uh, so we've got uh, John Gruden, of course, in Oakland. Yep. Uh, yep. Matt Nagy in Chicago. Frank Reich in Indianapolis. Matt Patricia in Detroit, 
Steve Wilkes in Arizona, Pat Shermer in New York, uh, and I'm missing one more, I think. There are seven, right? Oh, and seven. Uh, all right, I'll find it. But in the meantime, who do you uh, who do you like of those six to have their first win this I, weekend? As I'm as I'm looking at the schedule, I'm looking at the Sunday night football matchup between the New York Football Giants and the Dallas Cowboys, where the the Cowboys came out very flat in that week one. I don't think they'll look nearly as flat here in week two. I think the defense will help boost them a little. But I'm just not seeing anything out of this Cowboys offense outside of Ezekiel Elliott that I think is really a force to be reckoned with. So I, I think I, I'd probably look at the the New York football giants to get the win for their, their okay. new head coach this week. Um, but boy, I don't know what to expect on that Sunday night football game. It, it could be really ugly. It I'm could, honest. I know. This by halftime, this could be the most boring half of football, obviously that we've seen this season, but it, it could be, it could be memorable for all the wrong reasons. The, uh, the seventh, by the way, uh, Mike Vrabel, of course, in Tennessee. Oh, gotcha. um, yeah. So they were all zero and seven. I, I have two ideas for you. Uh, the Pat Shermer one's not bad, but I just don't trust Eli Manning. And I don't think the Cowboys are good, but I think the Giants are actually really, really, really bad. Uh, there was a quote, uh, Eric Flowers, the offensive tackle for the Giants, they they played the, the Jaguars in week one, right? And the Jaguars have yep. one of the best pass rushes in football, including a guy named Calais Campbell, who uh, is like six foot nine and 340 pounds or something like that. He's a massive human being and just destroys offensive tackles and so after the game after he repeatedly destroyed eric flowers eric flowers is giving an interview and he says yeah i didn't really realize campbell was a power guy i thought he was more of a speed guy <laughs> oh <laughs> like okay first of all don't you watch tape before you go face these teams like shouldn't you have seen that calais campbell was a power guy on tape when you were preparing to play him and and why did you miss that and second just the fact that calais campbell is as huge a person as he is should tell you that he's definitely a power guy. Even if he's also a speed guy, he's definitely a power guy. So uh, Eric Flowers is just uh, not coming out of that interview looking good. And all that to say, I think the Giants are not strong. I don't have much faith in them against the Cowboys. Um, the name I was going to pitch to you, actually two names. One, uh, you might have some insight in. That's Frank Reich. Uh, he's going up against yep. your Redskins this week. Yep. Uh, the return of Andrew Luck. He's now got a full game under his belt. And uh, I, th- I thought the Colts actually looked pretty good in week one. Um, and then the second one, the one I would think probably has the best chance at a win, Matt Nagy going against the Seahawks. He's not he's not facing Aaron Rodgers again. He's facing another great quarterback in Russell Wilson. But the Seahawks are just annihilated defensively and offensively. So there's there's no one really there. And the guys that are there are injured like Doug Baldwin. So I think Matt Nagy has the best chance. They're playing at home. It's Monday Night Football. So the Seahawks going out to Soldier Field and I bet they come away with the loss there. Yeah, do you think that there's going to be any holdover from last week and kind of how the the Bears were dismantled? I mean, Mitch Trubisky, I think, looked better in the first half than he looked all of last year, so I think that's a bright spot. But outside of Khalil Mack, I don't have a lot of faith in this Bears defense. You think we're going to see kind of a holdover from last week's disaster, or you think they're able to come out here and just take care of business against another very mobile quarterback in Russell Wilson? No, I think they will be able to take care of business because – Khalil Mack is the difference maker there. Just remember the Seahawks have one of the worst offensive lines in football. And so anybody who can make a difference on the pass rush is going to be able to make a difference in the game. So I think they will not have a problem dispatching the the Seahawks. Hmm, that's fair. Um, to circle back to your Frank Wright comment, I actually, that was the, the second one that I was kind of looking at uh, for where I think we could see possibly a new coach getting a win. 
Where I think the Colts are in trouble this weekend, however, obviously we're still 24 hours out from the game, right. is Hurricane Florence is going to have some effects up there in Landover, Maryland. The The Colts really don't have a running game still, and I think that's the, the Colts' biggest issue this season going forward is they don't really have a, a good good ground game outside of Andrew Luck's screen. Well, especially since I, the ageless wonder Frank Gore is no longer in Indianapolis anymore, right? Exactly, exactly. So... Uh, I see that game having to be won a lot on the ground and short passes. So to me, that sounds like Adrian Peterson and Alex Smith uh, to a T, kind of the your slants across the middle, your check downs, your, your little nine-yard curls. That That is where Alex Smith wants to live. And then just let Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson pound it. I, I don't think that the Colts' defense is going to be good enough to stop both of those threats if these conditions are as bad as they're being forecast right now. Yeah. So that's where I give a slight edge to the Redskins, but I I was looking at that game too, so I think that's still a, a viable pick. Uh, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I think I had another question for you, but I forget what it was, so we can just move on. Uh, we haven't talked about the Browns, who finally ended their losing streak by not losing or winning any any thoughts best start since 2004 <laughs> any thoughts best on start. the uh the Hugh Jackson led Browns in Cleveland so I I gotta be honest and I asked a few Steelers fans you, you know that I've got a lot of good buddies who are Steelers fans I asked them on Monday morning how they felt about that game if they thought that they kind of got away with one by kind of skirting out of there with a tie or if they were embarrassed that it was a tie um and for the most part they all felt like they kind of got away with one as I'm looking at the, the fourth quarter of that game and how everything is transpiring, uh, there were two very kind of decisive plays. I think probably the most important play was the interception thrown by Tyrod, uh, where I thought that the, the Browns honestly were driving to win. Obviously, both teams missed field goals in overtime where that game could have flopped either way. Right. But five turnovers from the Steelers. Um, I was very disappointed in Cleveland's inability to really capitalize on that. But at the same time, when, when you play the talent game here, I think you still have to lean on Pittsburgh, but not having Le'Veon Bell might have hurt them more than we were giving it credit for. James Conner obviously had a fantastic day, um, but you have to wonder about the internal makeup of that Steelers team right now. So uh, I'm a little disappointed for the Cleveland Browns. I thought that was going to be one of their six wins that I was calling as I was watching that game. Uh, you remember I, I gave them six wins back when we did our preview that. in August. And um, I said four to five is their ceiling, right? Yeah, so so we'll maybe see. we'll both be close because there's certainly a lot more talent there than there has been than there has been in past years. Um, and honestly, I'm a little higher on this team after watching Hard Knocks, which normally Hard Knocks I think is kind of a mediocre show at best. I really enjoyed the one on the Cleveland. Oh, Browns I'm this lower year. on this team after Hard Knocks. I think Hugh Jackson really? is just an awful coach. I think I think you plug almost any other coach into that spot, and you have a much better team. That's that's like a an eight to ten win team. So, so who are you more down on, Jason Garrett or Hugh Jackson these days? Uh, I, I think I see the same problems in both of them. So I think I would say yeah. it's about equal. I mean, I see indecision. I see awkwardness when making decisions, when they're forced to make decisions. I see a lack of involvement in actual game plan and strategy, uh, in play design. And, and that's through the all or nothing Amazon series on the Cowboys and Hard Knocks. So I, I think it's both. I mean, I just, to me, they're not doing what a head coach should do. So hmm, fair. I, I think I'm actually lower on Jason Garrett than I am Hugh Jackson. Right the clapper. I, I just, yeah, yeah, the the epitome of a cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I really and truly think that the culture is changing in Cleveland. I'm not sure it's coming from him. 
I, I think, think it's, that's it's definitely true. Your guys. I think it's coming like, with the young blood, all these really talented players who are brought in, you know, that your Denzel Wards, your Baker Mayfields, your Miles Garrett. I think those guys are coming in and, and changing the culture. And so, yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll reach critical mass at some point and they're starting to put together a winning record. But I think by that time, it'll be pretty apparent that Hugh Jackson needs to needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm still surprised he was there this year after everything that happened last year. But I circling back i was disappointed that they couldn't cash in on all those turnovers from the steelers and that makes me nervous that they're not going to be even as good as i was hoping they would be this year of, of sitting at six wins that, well, selfishly, that made me a little nervous selfishly since i said four to five wins i was glad to see they did not actually start <laughs> off with a win because that would already put me in, in a deficit um all right well so pete i've got this idea for a new segment uh the segment's called a dime a dozen we're going to take a dozen of the weekend's upcoming nfl games and uh place a hypothetical bet on the line and uh just a money line bet and based on that well then we'll do a we'll do like 10 cents on each team so a buck 20 overall hence the dime a dozen and then uh we'll do we'll 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 just see for fun what we would win on a parlay bet so basically the 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 payout would, would only happen if all of our bets were right which if you do if you do the odds is a very 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 small chance so very unlikely that this would ever happen if we were placing a bet but i'll just go through the lines and we'll just go uh just for fun and see what we could get if we were right does that make sense let's do it my man all right so the first one so uh, i'm looking at bovada right now so that's where all these odds numbers are coming from so the vikings packers game that uh money line is not out yet and the spread's not out because of pa- uh rogers un unknown status he's right now questionable for sunday and they haven't announced whether or not he's playing so that's why that game line is not out yet so we'll skip that one the rest i think we have 13 game lines here um so we can skip two uh one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen okay we can skip two uh and still get a dozen in there okay so just tell me if you want to skip one if you're not feeling confident on the result okay okay all right, so Colts, Redskins, who you got? The Redskins are minus two forty favorites. Uh I think I, I think I still like the Redskins in this. Yeah, one. I, I, I think I do too. I'm in, I'm in agreement. Okay, Chiefs, Steelers. Who do you like here? The Steelers are at home, and they are minus two twenty five favorites. I'm gonna take the Chiefs. All right, I like that. Uh, Browns, Saints. Saints are minus four forty. They're, they're playing in New Orleans. Ooh, minus 440. Oh, you know, I think after last week where the Saints put up with like 38 points and still lost that game in surprising fashion to the Bucks. Yeah. Uh, without famous Jameis, I think I'm going to go. Uh, you know what? I've, I've been all in on the Browns. Let's let's stick to it. Let's, going Browns? let's go with it. Oh, my goodness. All right. This I, is this is where I, I would differ upset. from you. So uh, that's a that's a bold call. I would go Saints. I just think the Saints are playing at home. The Saints defense really needs to bounce back, and I think they will. Um, so I, I still absolutely take the Saints to win that game. But I, I think based on what the Saints defense showed me last week, I'm not comfortable in that spread. The uh, Well, the spreads, uh, yeah. So minus, you're saying you would bet the plus 9.5 Cleveland? Yeah. But if you're just betting money line, so who's going to win? You're going to take New Orleans? Yeah. All right, yeah. we're, we're just going to go money line. It's just easier okay. that way. Uh, all right, Eagles, Bucks. Eagles. Okay, Panthers, Falcons. Falcons. All right, they are favorites, minus 245. Jets, Dolphins. Jets. I love the Jets here. 
I think we're we're pretty much lockstep on these so far. Texans, Titans. Texans. This one I'm actually not sure about. I, I I think I'm with you on Texans, but I am undecided. I think Vrabel needs a win. And I don't know if you watched any of the Texans Patriots game last week, but it was uninspiring and Deshaun Watson looked a little rusty. Yeah, and then Texans defense that I was so high on was just not no. not quite where I was hoping they would be. They made Tom Brady look like the Tom Brady of like 2012. Um, yeah, and, and I don't really know if you can trust Lamar Miller right now. That that makes me nervous agreed. as well. Agreed. Um, so we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll just leave that as a question mark right now. We might come back to that. Uh, okay. Chargers, Bills. Is there a question here? Uh, did the Bills play in week one? Uh, I, I know that the team who played them scored 45 points I, and the Bills sure. scored three, but that... That was like the four stringers like fumbled and took it back for 70 yards. I'm I think sure, what, happened what happened in week one was uh, Sean McDermott made all the players mad. So they all went on strike and then they just suited up like 53 fans and then sent him out there on the field to play. I think that, that's the only explanation I'd come up with for how bad the Buffalo Bills looked last week. I, I think there would have been more effort there if it had been 53 Bills faithful, especially in September it's before probably it true. starts snowing it's in probably Buffalo. True. There, yeah. there would have been more effort. Um, so there's no disagreement here. Chargers over the Bills. Yep. Okay. Niners, Lions. I think we're going to be in agreement there too. Yeah. Niners. And then Rams, Cardinals, also pretty easy. Yep. Okay. Rams all day. All right. Cool. So we are up to uh, 10 picks now. Um, so we've got two more to make on our dime a dozen. So we have Raiders, Broncos, Giants, Cowboys, Seahawks, Bears. What are you, what are you feeling there? And, and just a reminder, we can go back and decide not to take the Texans-Titans game as well. Oh, let's go Raiders-Broncos. What are you okay. thinking on that? So I actually like the Broncos here. I, I don't like what I saw from Gruden. I thought they obviously came out swinging fast against the Rams. And the Rams gave up some points early in that first half. But remember, they shut them down completely in the second half. Yeah, Carr threw three interceptions. The Raiders scored zero points. To, to me, it was basically the Rams had no tape on a Gruden-led offense uh, unless they're going to go back to the early knots. And it really just took them a quarter and a half to dial in and figure out the entire game plan and go from there. So that tells me that uh, that Gruden's not not coming up with anything so original that you can't read it. And yeah, I think that. I think Carr will have trouble against Chubb and Miller. Um, and even though I'm not the biggest uh, Vance Joseph fan, I do think the Broncos have some talent there. I like Case Keenum under center. Uh, I like the Broncos in this game, I think. I agree. I agree. Like I said earlier in the discussion, I thought the Raiders' defense was a lot better than I was giving them credit for. But Derek Carr, who I think you both you you and I both agreed on was not where he was two years ago even. I, I think he showed substantial regression under John Green on Monday Night Football. So hopefully for his sake and for the overall franchise's sake, that was just kind of a blip. New coach, new quarterback. Right. But I did not like what I saw out of Derek Carr. Yeah, I agree. So then we have Giants, Cowboys, Seahawks, Bears. Which one of those do you want to take? Or do you want to take both and then not take the uh, Titans-Texans game? I'm a little more confident in the Titans-Texans okay. where I was taking the Texans than I am any of these games right here. So How about Bears-Seahawks? Do you feel good about that yeah. one? Bears-Seahawks? Yeah. yeah. Bears are uh, minus 175 point favorites. 
Yeah, as long as they can bounce back, I think they have more talent than the Seahawks do right now. I really do, especially with Doug Baldwin going down, that Seahawk O-line being problematic. I Yeah, I still like the Bears. Yeah, okay. And you like the, you want to keep the Texans-Titans there, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's see what this gives us here. So we've got 12 picks. Uh, on our dime, a dozen, if we were to uh, put down a dollar twenty on a parlay pick, uh, the payout would be... $150. So that's not too bad. Nice. That's a, that's a low risk, high reward there. But again, uh, if you just look at the the basic math, uh, the, the chances of us being correct on every single one of our picks is pretty darn low. Slim to none. But still, fun nonetheless. Hopefully our listeners enjoy the dime a dozen segment. Uh, we'll do it again next week. We'll try to do it every weekend before the games of that weekend and we'll see how it goes from there. And it looks like our only upsets really, Pete, that we are choosing there is the Chiefs. Uh, over the Steelers at Heinz Field. So we'll see if that happens. Other than that, we're just going with a favorite. So nothing too original there, but uh, a couple couple narrow favorites at least. So Let's let's real quick circle back to the, the Packers-Vikings. So if Aaron Rodgers is on the field tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern time, do you like the Packers to win that game against the Vikings? I don't. I don't. The reason being that even if he's on the field, and of course while he's on the field he can be a transcendental player, uh, all it takes is one sack behind a meh offensive line to take his knee out, potentially for the season, but at least to kick him out of the game. Because you know they're not going to keep him out of the game if there's if there's a big risk of further catastrophic injury a la Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. So I, I don't like their chances. I mean, I know they're playing in Lambeau. I think that certainly helps them. But I really, really, really like this Vikings defense. Um, uh, or the Vikings team in general. I mean, I think Kirk Cousins is a great addition to that. I think he's... A more talented QB than Keenum or Bridgewater, so I think he's the best QB that the Vikings have had in a long time. Um, and so, yeah, I think I like Minnesota in this game. What about you? Same. If if I'm the Packers and I'm looking at this game, right? So so obviously Aaron gets hurt last week, but don't forget Aaron got hurt against the Vikings last year, and there's still debate if it was head hunting, and we're right. we're not going to get into that here. But I don't know if the risk reward is high enough to trot Aaron Rodgers out in week two of the NFL season right now. Right. Obviously, a win against a division opponent, win against a hated rival, huge. But at the end of the day, I would rather have Aaron Rodgers for the next 14 weeks than I would to to put everything on the line in week two. I think if this is week 17 and this is how we get into the playoffs, absolutely no question. But at this point in the season, I think you got to play the long game. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, anything else on NFL before we close it out here? No, I uh, I guess much like I am all in on the Lane Kiffin hype train, regardless of how he looked at Oklahoma last week, I guess I'm all in on the Browns too, I'm figuring out, which oh is boy. Oh troubling. Boy. Very yeah, troubling. It is troubling. I, oh, oh, must be something in the water out here in Vegas right must now. Must be. Well, uh, so next week <laughs> early, we're going to uh, talk to Ishan as well. We're going to do another baseball episode, full count. Uh, what just as a brief teaser to our listeners, the baseball fans among them, at least, what are you, what are you looking at in the baseball world as we approach the playoffs? For me, it's all about the St. Louis Cardinals, the NL central, how close that race is and how the Dodgers might actually end up getting, uh, left out of the playoffs. And we might send three teams from the NL central, the, the Brewers, the Cardinals and the Cubs all to the playoffs. What are you looking at? Uh, I am really interested to see exactly how the, Yes, that race I think is the the biggest one for me. But two, I'm very interested in the Braves right now. The Braves just look unstoppable, regardless of who they've been playing the past two weeks. 
I not only think that they are obviously going to be in the playoffs, easily going to win the NL East, and I think make some noise in these playoffs this year. I, I think it's going to be very interesting. You remember I was high on them in June, and I'm I glad do. that one of my few picks that actually seems to be working itself out is the Atlanta Braves this year. So I'm, I'm watching them pretty closely. I cannot believe what the Rockies have been able to do in the NL West. You had the Rockies in our preseason picks. I was not nearly as high on them, but I cannot believe how strong the Rockies have come on the past three or four weeks. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's also possible that the Dodgers get left out of the cold and the Diamondbacks and Rockies end up getting in. I mean, there are so many different yeah. scenarios in the National League, unlike the American League, which is pretty much determined at this point. There's, uh, with the exception of the AL West, of course. But there's so much going on in the NL East and so much variability and so much risk. It's just, it's just an exciting time. And yeah. what continues to amaze me is how the Nationals continue to hover right at 500. They're never, they're never two games above or below 500. I think that's pretty much the way it's been all year. It's really impressive, actually. Well, and, and you look at that team and you think of them trading away Daniel Murphy. You think about them trading away the entire backside of that bullpen. And you, ju- you just have to wonder, Mike Rizzo, if you had just been able to make a decision on what you want to do this year, how much would that have changed the team? We were all in on Bryce, right. but we weren't all in on the team. We were all in on this, but not all in on this. The This has been the most puzzling organization to follow in the major leagues this year, quite honestly. Nobody knows what they're doing. It's true. I think Mike Rizzo's days are pretty numbered as well. Davey Martinez is coming back next year. I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Rizzo has about a year or two left in Washington. Man, it's crazy. A crazy time to be a Nats fan. Always is with these Washington sports teams. Much like our politics, it's just, it's insanity. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Well, to so our listeners, you can look forward to uh, getting that next week. We're going to talk about baseball. In the meantime, hopefully you enjoyed this football episode. Have fun watching the uh, all the football games on tv this weekend and we'll be back next week to do more football discussion more dime a dozen follow us on twitter at thirdstring pod you can follow pete at pete underscore laclede and i'm at zach crippen and until next time thanks for listening to third string podcast go browns